May I just say I am very sorry if I ever treated you with anything other than admiration. Oh, shut up, Ransom. You're such a sucker. From now on, I'll make sure to give you special attention. No! Be as hard on her as you always are. Yeah, be hard on me. I'm only hard on you when you make me hard. I mean, I'm, I'm not hard right now. I mean, I could I could get hard if I wanted to, but I'm not hard right now. I'm so sorry. You're both great! <sighs> Season three, banana. Season three, banana. Somebody hates us. Season three, banana. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C. With Blanche and John, the crew, a new movie. It's so much fun that you'll have to pee. It's gonna cure your apathy. And on we, it's the Slum Gullion. We're still booking guests on the Slum Gullion. You're not getting guests on the Slum Gullion. Should probably fade on the Hello, good morning, afternoon, evening, and welcome to another edition of the Slumgullion, the Federation's only podcast. I am Jeff Holland. I am still alive. Three hours behind me is Scott. How are you doing, sir? Well, I think I'm fine, but since I'm three hours behind you, I might be dead for all we know. Uh, no, I think you're safe. Yeah, you think that. At least for the length of this conversation. Oh, great. Suddenly it's turned into a Saw movie. Would you like to play a game? No! No, I wouldn't. There you go. Saw is done by Bane. Would you like to play a game? <laughs> I've got Twister, and I've got um, Hungry, Hungry Hippos. Hungry Hippos, yes. <laughs> hungry Hippos, the horror movie. You know what? Somebody just did a series of posters, really beautifully done. I saw it on Twitter, of various Milton Bradley games rendered into horror movies. What was what? it like? Hungry, Hungry Hippos, Candyland, and what were the other two? Oh, ah. Uh... I don't know, but I, I that just made me think, yeah, those are good, but you know what really freaked me out when I was a kid was Barrel of Monkeys. Oh, God. Oh, I remember those things. Crazed, virus-ridden monkeys just pouring endlessly out of a barrel like it's a clown car. That's nightmare fuel. For me, it was always, uh, for some reason, Silly Putty. Silly Putty freaked me out. I didn't like the fact that it was bounceable and that you could, like, you know— get comic pages off of it yes you could transfer ink into onto it from the comic pages which to me finally made me understand why certain primitive cultures were leery of photography and how it might steal your soul i felt like that's kind of what silly putty was doing silly putty completely stole charlie brown's soul which is why after like 1974 it wasn't funny anymore was it ever funny you know what? If you go back to read the Peanuts from the 1950s when it first started, the joke basically was he was using funny looking little kids to make jokes about neurotic adults because they all had these phobias and neuroses and some in some cases psychoses and in Snoopy's case, hallucinations right. that are, you know, right out of right out of Freud. So some of them are just downright astonishingly mean and, and all the more funny for it. Once they were spokespersons for MetLife and they had, you know, their contract with CBS for specials to protect. It got very cream of wheatish in its taste and texture. But early on, Peanuts was just mean. And you could tell that Charles Schultz, who probably had a certain amount of PTSD from landing on Omaha Beach on D-Day, right. was working out some issues. That's my recommendation for today. If you can find early Peanuts, anything before uh, the Nixon administration. Sorry. Oh, Jesus. Did you hear they're making a new series? No. Yeah, Apple TV is doing it. It's called The Snoopy Show. That sounds terrible. And the trailer for it is already out. The animation actually looks good. They're not doing CG. They're oh, they're not? No, they're not going the root of the movie. They're actually doing traditional, um, it looks like, hand-drawn animation. Hmm. But, yeah, uh, the trailer, I, I actually liked the Peanuts movie. 
a CG film. I actually enjoyed it. I didn't see that. I was surprised. It actually kind of, uh, especially considering what you just said, it actually in the end, it actually makes you feel good. Mm, I could use some of that. Uh, ben, I, I do. I kind of rec- I kind of recommend the movie. It was. I was surprised. Mom and I watched it, and even even mom liked it. All right, I'll check that out. It was definitely better than the new Adams Family movie. Oh right, you, that the one with uh, Charlize Theron and uh, who else? Charlize they- Theron doing whatever the hell accent she was doing. Oscar Isaac is really good as fucking um, Gomez. I loved his Gomez, and I loved what they did with Wednesday. What they do? Wednesday decides that she wants to become popular as a way to torture people. <laughs> right. Don't don't Not- try to don't try to horrify them. Mean girls are much more effective at inducing terror. But I mean, you know, she's doing it to not only, you know, um, strike fear into her mother, but strike fear into the town as well. She's doing it as a scientific experiment almost. And I found that interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's it's everything's been done. It's harder and harder to come up with the original project for the science fair. And I give them points for actually um, letting Snoop Dogg spend the entire appearance as Cousin It going rubber, 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 rubber. Okay. Because Snoop Dogg played Cousin It. And um, they actually, I, was, I honestly thought they were going to give him lines. Yeah, I, I would have thought that was a good bet, too. Now this makes me wonder, just because I I was going to say most, every movie I've worked on has been low budget and every penny counted. And to think of working on a project where you've got so much money that you could hire Snoop Dogg purely for the publicity value and then literally give him no lines in an animated movie where you won't even see him. I can only dream of having that much money to piss down my leg. Indeed, and they definitely, pissing it down the leg is an appropriate metaphor for that particular cameo. All right, well, I'm not going to rush out to see that one then. No, no, Peanuts, if you can find it, if you're in the mood for it, I would definitely give it a shot. Adam's Family is one of those, all right, there's nothing else on, I've medicated myself, let's check this out. Gotcha. You know what I'd like to revisit that I haven't seen in forever is A Boy Named Charlie Brown. Do you remember that? You know what, you know what one I watched fairly recently? What? race for your life charlie brown and don't come back oh i think i saw that i must that's, have I, that. I believe that's the third one they made yeah a boy named charlie brown 1969 good god and then i, I think actually snoopy, seen it when it was in theaters and then i think snoopy come home is the next one right that one may be a little teary yes um, and then race for your life charlie brown which was the action one. Oh right action and action two 2D limited animation. That's the definition of high adventure. Yes. And then there was Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown, and Don't Come Back, which was the a mystery. Right. So the Boy Named Charlie Brown was made in 1969. Snoopy Come Home was made in 1972 as a standalone sequel. Uh, it doesn't say anything about Race for Your Life. That was one I actually, that came out in either 78 or 79 because I saw it in Florida when I was with my stepmom and my stepdad. So that was either 78 or, I think it was 78 when that one came out. The only thing I remember about A Boy Named Charlie Brown was it was sort of melancholy. As as an oddball, lonely child, I over-identified with Charlie Brown. So it was it was painful to watch him go through everything. The whole movie builds up to him competing in the spelling bee and then screwing up in the stupidest, most Charlie Brown way possible, eh. which, which taught me a lesson. Be as hard on your characters as you possibly can. That's because everyone in the audience is angry about something. So they would like to see someone suffer. That's what I learned about humanity. The other thing I learned was that no one who saw that movie would ever forget the I before E, except after C rule, because of that <laughs> stupid song. Yep, yep. Oh, my God. I remember that. Accompanied by Snoopy on the mouth harp. 
<laughs> nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with Snoop, Snoopy on the uh, on a mouth harp. But 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 we are not here to talk about Snoopy or his mouth harp. No, we're here to talk about getting hard. Yes, and I gotta say, I, I was not expecting the last episode, the season ender, the finale of Star Trek Lord Dex to be like an actual Star Trek season finale. Not at all. <laughs> Holy okay, crap. We've only we, we we touched upon lower decks a couple of episodes ago. Um, for those of you who don't know what the hell's wrong with you at this point, it is the the second um, Star Trek cartoon. This one following the um, junior grade, if you will, crew of the USS Cerritos who are involved in second contact and we get second contact in the finale. And the whole series has been just a treasure trove of Star Trek in jokes and meta humor. But the thing that surprised me is it's also been a really good Star Trek show. It has been. Uh, It's not just been a good comedy. It has been a good Star Trek show. I mean, the characters are interesting. The bridge crew, I think, is just as interesting as um, the Lower Decks crew. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love both the Cat Doctor and Jerry O'Connell's hysterical first officer. Yes, he does a very good job. (laughs) <laughs> and and for 10 weeks, we have been bouncing around, you know, having lots of references to various and sundry things in the Star Trek community. And for their finale, I guess you could say they pulled out all the stops. You could say that without fear of contradiction. Yes. <laughs> OK, I've been happy with the show since the introduction of Badgie. Oh, you've been crazed about the show since the, the introduction of Badgie. Badgie seemed to change you. Somehow, Jeff. I have, I admit, I have joined the cult of Badgie. <laughs> and, you know, really, why not? It's it's probably healthier than a lot of other cults are these days. Even though, when you think about it, it's a murder cult. And uh, it's sort of like the Tuggies in uh, the movie Gunga Din. Ah. Kill, kill for the love of Kali. Kill, kill, kill. It's, um, my favorite thing about it is how it starts your brain... And I don't mean to insult your brain. If you're listening to this and you're going, my brain would never do that to me. You're probably right. I'm, I'm solely speaking on behalf of my own brain, which is unreliable. And as soon as I watched the, the episode where Badgie featured, I'm going like, okay, basically it's Clippy from Microsoft Word. If Clippy were a homicidal maniac, which he may have been, but it more importantly was a homicidal maniac who could back it up, who could actually kill you. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. These guys are in the future. Wouldn't they have learned the lessons of the bloody past and known never to bring anything like Clippy back? Wouldn't they have realized that this is probably one of the things that led to the Third World War? Clippy was responsible for the eugenics wars. <laughs> I wouldn't wouldn't put it past him. Clippy seemed like he, he was ambitious enough to have pulled that off. Yeah, but I, 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 I don't know why. Well, actually, yes, I do know why. But Clippy just absolutely floored me. I was like, all right, you have you guys have officially gone to that dark place. And I freaking love it. And of course, of course, this being a, a finale, not only does it make reference to numerous um episodes throughout the history of Star Trek. Let's see, in this one, we had the original series, Next Gen, and Enterprise. And along with an opening reference to the original series, we also get a new definition for TOS. 
It's always weird revisiting planets from the TOS era. TOS? It's what I call the 2260s. Stands for those old scientists. You know, Spock, Scotty, those guys. So as far as I'm concerned from now on, that's what TOS stands for. And I will fight anyone who says different. And when I say fight, I mean I will fight the way the uh, Starship Cerritos does in the opening credits when it goes up against a Borg cube, takes one cheap shot, and then runs away. Have they done a Voyager reference? Um, I can't remember one. I think Janeway has been mentioned. Oh, but and Jane, Janeway's coming back in the third Star Trek animated series that's coming up. Yes, Prodigy. Prodigy. I just hope that doesn't mean they've cloned a bunch of Wesley Crushers and they're raising them to, I don't know, distribute through the fleet and destroy morale. I don't get what the point of that is, but it's it's to get kids excited because it's like all, all the Star Trek fans are aging nerds like me. So they yes. want to they want to refill their quiver with the younger generation who will be around to buy their shit in the next 30 years. That's fine. But I, I made me wonder, like, young fans would probably wouldn't know who Janeway is, wouldn't care. Right. But that tells me they want to attract us elderly nerds, too. Some of whom, I mean, I know a lot of people had their sexual awakening during Voyager when Seven of Nine was introduced. Right. But there had to be Janeway fans. There had to be some nerds out there who found their naughty bits engorged by the sight of a brusque, tightly wound, hyper-competent woman with mid-90s Hillary hair. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad for them, but... I gotta say, I'd rather it be Mrs. Columbo than Jean-Vierre Bujold. I have to agree. Nothing against Jean-Vierre Bujold. I liked her in King of Hearts and Anne of the Thousand Days and Dead Ringers. She's she's a perfectly fine actress. But I did see that footage from her one day of shooting, and she was out of her depth uh, playing the captain of a starship. I mean, she, she snapped out orders and recited technobabble with all the esprit and elan of your 70-year-old grandmother trying to puzzle her way through the directions to her VCR, which were badly translated from the Korean. Yeah, and I, I was I was surprised that, the, unlike Mrs. Columbo, uh, they stuck with the title Voyager the whole way. I thought it was going to be halfway through. It was going to be called Kate Loves Space. Janeway solves a mystery. <laughs> he solves a mystery, which, you know what, was about a, a good solid third of those stupid episodes anyway. Especially in the last season, man. Oh, God. That show, that show broke my heart. I remember thinking, okay, so they are at the far edge of the galaxy. We're going to see aliens we've never seen before. This could be interesting. Oh, boy, bipedal people with assholes on their foreheads. What's yep. the first thing we get? The Kazon. Mm-hmm. And then they gave us the Borg and the Ferengi. And I'm like, I don't care. I, I, I tried. I watched it. I mean, I liked the cast. I did like the cast. You? But it was just, it was a failed Star Trek series. I know it has its, it has its um, proponents now. It has been rediscovered and a lot of people are liking it now, okay. which I'm like, good for you. I've tried rewatching it and I wound up seeing the episode Tuvix and it. I just, I could not rewatch it again. Yeah, I can't. For, for all those reasons, it made a lot of promises. It never lived up to it. Frankly, I think Enterprise was better Star Trek than Voyager, even though Enterprise was not good Star Trek. Uh, uh, well, yeah, actually, I would say around season three, when, when they did the Zindi arc, I would agree with you. Well, that's the thing. Star Trek, I mean, I, I assume that every single show, and you brought this up the other night when we were talking, that every single Star Trek show will start off as a smoldering piece of dog crap and then find its footing and gradually get better, maybe by some time in the second season, if you're lucky. While Lower Decks, on the other hand, started right off and was firing on all cylinders from the pre-credit sequence of the first episode. And, you know, granted, the stakes and, and the degree of difficulty was much lower. I mean, TNG and the subsequent Star Trek series, I mean, they're all hour-long 
effects-heavy dramas with large ensemble casts, and this is a half-hour animated comedy. Nonetheless, it is breaking with a long and hallowed tradition. Yeah, I think you said it was the first Star Trek show you've liked from the, the very first episode. Uh, completely agreed, yep. And I feel the same way because, good God, I, I, I was in a quandary after I saw, what was it? Journey to Farpoint, Fuck Off Farpoint, whatever it was called. Encounter at Farpoint. Thank you. Oh, that was bad. But I hung in there. I mean, despite all my complaining, I, I did stick with TNG for several reasons. One, I was a lifelong Star Trek fan and I was rooting for his success. Two, I was a Patrick Stewart fan and I was very excited that he was in the show. On the other hand, I was not as excited about the new theory of storytelling that Gene Roddenberry seemed to have evolved that called for drama without conflict. I felt that was maybe an overly ambitious concept. He wasn't completely able to make work. And also, I lived in a building that wasn't wired for cable. So I had a 13-inch black and white portable TV that got four, maybe five channels in good weather, one of which was the local station that carried TNG. Uh, there wasn't much to watch. It There's was, only so many episodes of She's the Sheriff you can watch at that time. There are there are only so many. That number is zero. It's a it's a I have a perfect record with She's the Sheriff. Congratulations. Thank Some you. of us are, do not have that luxury. <laughs> oh well, I did see an episode of We've Got It Made. So oh oh ho 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 ho. Remember Carter Country? Yes, I do. I I think you and I are probably the only two people who do. But yes. Is there, does anybody out there remember Carter Country, and especially this? Hamlet, Roy! Hamlet, Hamlet! If you do, please go to theslumdillion.com and leave a little comment on this recording's post. We'd like to know how many of you were out there to send you proper um, psychological healing centers. Exactly. Tell us Tell us where it hurt. <laughs> where, did, where did the big bearded man hurt you? Ah, <laughs> uh, Victor French. Oh, that's right. It was Victor French. I forgot. I just remembered a big bearded guy. I thought, well, it wasn't Dan Haggerty. <laughs> oh, my God. I totally forgot about the adventures of Grizzly Adams. Mm -hmm. Well, then you may also have forgotten that the life and times of Grizzly Adams came to TV by way of our nation's movie theaters. In fact, it was, it was one of a slew of family-oriented, G-rated pictures cranked out in the mid-'70s by Sun International, I think it was called, including... Um, uh, the, oh, the Wilderness Family movies. There were a bunch of those. And uh, a docudrama made from Eric Von Daniken's Chariots of the Gods, which asked the intensely stupid question, did ancient astronauts build the pyramids? And I, I remember laughing my little nine-year-old butt off at, at that when I saw the ad for it in the newspaper. But I guess the joke's on me because that's basically every show on the History Channel now. But the most interesting thing about these films, besides the fact that they were uniformly cheap and terrible, was their marketing gimmick. I mean, from time immemorial, Hollywood traditionally tries to create pre-release buzz with ads that trumpet, coming soon, while these films always said, leaving soon. I mean, even the week they opened, the newspaper ads for these movies would always say, held over for one week only in Kern County, Imperial County, Indio County, all these places you would never want to go. Every shitty, sunblasted little town in central and southeastern California. And yet somehow, just plain independent theaters and drive-ins, none of the major multiplexes in L.A. or any other sizable town, the life and times of Grizzly Adams made enough money that they decided to turn it into a TV series. So I can't really argue with their success, but I can argue with their methods. It's always held over for one week. I'm going, wait, it just opened. Well, I, and I can only assume they expected it to open and then immediately close. But I think they were just lying to us, basically. Wait, they lied? 
I feel like they did. Maybe I've gotten bitter in my old age. Maybe I should be writing Peanuts now. I'm full of bitterness and anger and PTSD from the past three years. Charlie Brown in the era of COVID and Trump. <laughs> See, I don't think the neuroses would be entertaining. I think I think with the psychological time bombs that are set to go off in Charlie Brown's head at any time, usually they're expressed with a, ah, but uh, I just feel like he would commit suicide now. That, it would be a very short run. And Lucy's psychiatric office would have a line around the block. And there would just be... It would just be Charlie Brown sitting in front of a TV watching a, a Trump rally. And then the last panel would be the pitcher's mound. There'd be some flowers growing on it. And at one end would be a tombstone. Charlie Brown, you're born, you're died. Too dark? I like it. Okay. I, 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 I like it. And, you know, along the same lines, there was death in Star Trek. Holy shit. Let me say a word about this because this has been a revelation for me. So COVID-19 is the third leading cause of death in the U.S. right now. That makes me wonder what the first is. And I'm pretty sure it's cartoons because you remember how rebels would routinely slaughter dozens, often hundreds, occasionally thousands of Imperials per episode. I mean, the body count on that thing was intense. Yes. Well, this show in like the first two minutes killed an entire starship worth of crew. And before the episode was over, it killed off a regular character. A character that we have grown to love over the la over the last 10 episodes. Yes, indeed. I, uh, farewell, Bajoran, whatever the hell your name was. We hardly knew you. Jax, I believe. Jax, that's right. But man, as I told you, which is the one thing I didn't want to talk about before you saw the episode was he did not die like a bitch. No, he got a hero's, I mean, the, he got a funny hero's death, basically. Funny in the sense that if you know the character, it's like, okay, you've watched Lower Decks. Name the character that is most likely to die while having someone in a headlock. Yep. Just the fact that he exploded holding a packlet in a fucking headlock, I thought was beautiful. And bringing back the packlets. Who, who in their right mind would have brought back the packlets? That was one of the, one of the more annoying episodes from the original series of Next Gen. Which is why I love this thing and why I think the premise is genius, because they are combing through every piece of crap episode that Star Trek has barfed up over its long history. Like, and like the episode with that, um, or no, it was this episode too, the, the, the science officer being th th that one c computer species from that data episode. Mm -hmm. I'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah, they just throw these things out. So they know their Trek and they know their bad Trek and why bad Trek is funny. And, and this makes me want to go on Twitter and say, hey, guys, now that we've all seen the, the full run of the first season, you were afraid that they were going to be making fun of Star Trek. No, they were making Star Trek fun. There is a difference there. There is a difference. Yeah, I mean... I realize that there may be some sort of Oxford debating society satisfaction you get from defending the indefensible, you know, saying, well, it wasn't that bad because blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Lean into the badness. They just think, think it's it's snarky, which some people think is a bad thing and disrespectful and far from it. I mean, you know, the Packlands were never going to get a second bite at the apple on any other show. And here they actually turned them into actually terrifying villains at certain points. I mean, there was so much action and destruction and violence in this episode. Part of it's the fact that animation is becoming cheaper and cheaper all the time, thanks to, to CG. But it's also just that the audience has changed and they're appealing to the modern viewer, while at the same time nodding toward our nostalgia for the, all the goofy stuff that came when we watched it as kids. It is a truly amazing thing that I have found within the same year, a Batman show and a Star Trek show that I absolutely adore. And they're both animated comedies. They're both animated comedies. Yeah, which makes 
some people are getting, oh, uh, we'll see. Once once you get to the point where a franchise has become so ridiculous that it can only start mocking itself, which is what happened to the James Bond series in, this, right. in, the, in the 80s with Roger Moore. Octopussy. Then yes, then it's over. But I don't think that's true anymore. I think people can enjoy the straight series and then enjoy the series that make fun of the straight series. But you, you hit on something that really has been gnawing at my brain, which is the Star Trek movies are basically over. I mean, they may try <laughs> They may try to bring them back, but they're over, let's be honest. And it's a good thing they're over because the last three of them, maybe four, were really on a downward slide. They range from disappointing to insufferable. And coincidentally, or not, the Star Wars movies have been on a similar trajectory. But then we get The Mandalorian, which is good Star Wars, and then we get this thing, and to a large degree, Picard, good Star Trek. So I feel like maybe it's fine that the movie's are over because the movies, they spent so much money and they had so much on the line that they wouldn't take any chances. Lower Decks is just pure chance taking. They don't care, which is wonderful. I mean, they'll say fuck, they'll bleep it, but they'll still say it. They'll kill people, they'll mock their entire canon. And that's great. It, it, it has revived my interest in Star Trek because there's nothing no, nothing more deadly than when it gets self-satisfied or self-serious. The worst episodes of the original series were the ones that they really want you to take seriously because they had a message. Let that be your last battlefield. Happened oh. to be the one I was thinking of. Yes, but the, there are other examples, but that's probably the That's ideal. the most egregious, I think. That's, that's the platonic ideal of a crappy Star Trek episode. So I am glad they have handed off the baton to showrunners on television because right now they're doing a much better job and I'm sure are getting a lot less studio interference than J.J. Abrams got when he was trying to clean up the mess or what regarded as the mess of The Last Jedi and just making it worse. So yay for television. Never thought I would say this. TV was always the, the embarrassing country mouse to the movie's city mouse. And that is completely flipped. Thank God, because who knows when or if movies will even come back as a thing in the same way. I mean, we've got major movie theater chains declaring bankruptcy. Yeah. Someone was telling me, oh, that can't happen. I go, really? You think so? Drive through any small town. Drive through any older city with a still extant downtown. Count the buildings that were clearly movie theaters at one point and are now churches or bookstores or consignment malls or what have you. It can and possibly will happen. I don't want to believe that for obvious reasons, for selfish reasons, but also because I think after having been cooped up for so long, people desperately want to get out. I know right. I do. I know I do. The first day it's safe to go to a movie theater, I will. And I was talking to John and Blanche and they did go to see Tenet. Did they like it more than I did? No, they did not like it more than you did. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. Yes. That is good to know. And having heard both of your reactions to it, I am not going to risk my life to see Tenet. I mean, you went, you went under different circumstances. You saw a screening. Yes, a rich white guy bought out an entire theater for a screening, yes. Right, so he forewalled it, and then they went to a, a midday show in okay. the theater, and I think there were three other people in it. They wore their masks the whole time. I mean, I think theaters will probably come back, but who knows? Well, I know this sounds sad, but I mean, this is true, especially in the last couple of years before COVID. I really didn't go to the movie theaters a lot because I, you know, I mean, again, talking about changing attitudes, I'm much rather just watch it at home. I know a lot of people feel that way. I am the rare oddball who, because I worked at home, because um, right. I still work at home, I would be more than willing to go to see a movie on my own. I mean, last few years, Mary hasn't been feeling great. Oftentimes wasn't up for going to a movie theater and sitting through some, especially since movies have gotten so long. Right. Uh, it's entirely possible that the last movie we saw together in a theater was Endgame. 
Okay. But when we were living in the heart of Hollywood, there were multiple theaters with an easy walking distance of me. So if you know, if you called up and said, "Oh, I just saw this movie called Serenity," I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but just go see it. Just go see it. And I'm going, All right, twenty minute walk later, I'd be sitting in the theater. But for a lot of people, it's a social occasion. So I think that will continue to happen. But but a lot of people are more than content to buy cheap snacks on their own, sit on their own couch with their dog and watch something on their 55-inch big screen. I mean, there are certain movies that I feel like should be seen with an audience, like, you know, your Star Warses, your your, your Marvels, what have you. But I mean, for most stuff, I'm just kind of like, I, yeah, I can stay at home. I don't care. But you know, even, you know, for me, even more than the widescreen CGI effects fest films, I like to go see comedies with an audience because in a theater, laughter is contagious. Just like COVID, but in a good way. For some reason, I don't, even though I, I register humor, <laughs> I'm starting to sound like data, but I don't laugh if I'm sitting in a room alone watching something. I may enjoy it. I may find it funny. But if you were to walk in on me watching, you know, Buster Keaton's The General, you looked at my face, you'd think I was watching The Sorrow and the Pity. Especially if it's something we're going to talk about, because I don't want to watch a comedy by myself. And they go, nobody in the room was laughing. Clearly, this right. wasn't funny. And there are also movies that, as you say, work best when seen on the big screen. But the experience of motion picture exhibition and the quality of what you can see on your own television are starting to merge. It's slow, but they knew when they were trying to roll out 3D again that they needed a gimmick to draw people into the theaters. And they were worrying about the erosion of the audience, just like they were in the 50s when TV started nibbling. They go, ah, you know, we can go downtown, we can fight the crowds, we can pay to park, or we can sit here and watch Milton Berle. I mean, hell, that's what's happening with Mulan. I mean, I'm not going to pay 30 bucks or whatever they're charging for it, in addition to what I pay for Disney+. Plus. Right. But I'll, you know, I can wait until December when it's free. That's oh, was it December? December, I believe. Okay. Yay. I, yeah. All right. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I I have I have absolutely no desire for that one. I mean, I'll get my Disney Plus back for The Mandalorian. That's pretty much it. Which, what, starts on the 30th of this month? I believe so, yes. Needless to say, for those of you who have not seen it yet, I personally cannot recommend enough checking out Lower Decks. Even if you aren't a Star Trek fan, it's a funny show. And you don't you don't need to know Star Trek to laugh at the show. It helps, but you don't need to. It's another reason why I think the show is so successful. A lot of the jokes are obscure, but not super obscure. You don't need to have taken a particular college course to get it. But, for instance, you open up with a trip to Beta 3, which the Enterprise visited in the original series, in that goofy episode where all the natives dressed like they were in The Music Man, and, yeah. and were ruled by a being called Landru, who was secretly a computer, a psychopath, and the screenwriter for the hit 2013 film, The Purge. And when the captain says, I can't believe they forgot everything Kirk taught them a century ago, they cut to the iPad that her first officer is holding. And it's a screen cap of Kirk and Spock from the 1970s animated Star Trek animated series. series, yep. That, okay, there's, there's, there's your nerd humor. But I also love how all the ships in the TNG and TOS era have heroic names, redolent of 18th century British warships, you know, the Enterprise, the Intrepid, the Reliant, while all the ships in Lower Decks are named after shitty little towns in California. California, that's what I thought. Yep. The Cerritos, the Sacramento, the fucking Solvang, which gets completely destroyed. And for those who don't know, Solvang is a fake Danish tourist trap town in Central California that's best known for being within easy driving distance of Buellton, 
which is another shitty little Central California town that's known for uh, decent split pea soup. (laughs) Okay, on that note, decent split pea soup. We got to end it there. That's just you, 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 you cannot you cannot fight with decent split pea soup except with Badgie. So, folks, seriously, watch Lower Decks. Like I said, even if you're not a Star Trek fan, you are going to laugh. You will. You're, you're going to laugh at the show. It's just an incredibly well done show. Scott. Yes. What is the movie for the next UMC? I believe. Aren't we doing the Forbin Project? I believe we're doing Colossus, the Forbin Project. With, we are bringing back John and Blanche. Yay! Yay! We are bringing back John and Blanche for that, Oh, right? yes, yes. Okay, so coming to your ear holes soon, the new movie crew returns for a not new movie. Because <laughs> there ain't none. Because there ain't none. And until later, Time Dick says, good job, guys. Robert P. Soup Anderson, and here with me are the non-identical twins, Happy and Pee Wee. Hiya, Hiya, soup fans everywhere. The gentlemen here are going to demonstrate how we split peas for our soup rather than crush them and lose the flavor. Notice the intricate machinery, the the pea soup, the pea sorter. And I thought so, that one was a dud. That's right, an automatic Automatic reject reject feature feature of the uh, machine. Unlike some uh, soup manufacturers, we're not much interested in how many cans we can crank out every minute, but more in how good our soup is. In fact, when my friends say to me, Robert P. Soup Anderson, how come no one else could use canned soups with real delicious homemade flavor, I tell them it's because of an extra ingredient in every can. And that ingredient is time. It's in my delicious split pea, beef burger, cream of chicken, or old-fashioned bean soup. Try, Try some, some today. Tonight. Today. A week from Tuesday.